everybody. Welcome to School Psych Podcast. We've done a little bit of um, we're in a little bit of a panic mode. Um, we had some scheduling issues, and you know, it's just been kind of one of those weeks, one of those years. I don't know, but um, we don't have our our scheduled guest on tonight. But we figured we would pop on though and uh, touch base and see how everybody's doing. I'm in the hotel room right now because my family was traveling, um, so I'm a little bit off kilter with that. But um, we figured we we've got a couple different things that we could just chit chat about, and I'd love to get some some comments from people um, watching live maybe either with questions or just topics that you want to see us throw out there and talk about so we thought that would be good we're kind of riding I think on the energy from everybody coming back from NASP now and we've been just we we didn't go ourselves but we've just been loving all the tweeting and the pictures and and the the fun stuff and really missing out on that so we're hoping to maybe capitalize on some of that energy if anybody's coming off of NASP please let us know how that went but um so yes my name is Rachel I'm a school psychologist in Maryland. I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca, who's going to tell everybody how to participate if you're watching live tonight. Rebecca. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching us live, please log in to your YouTube channel and just comment right alongside the video. Those comments live with the video in perpetuity. And so we can continue the conversation in that way. You can also, um, whether you're watching live or the recording, listening to the recording later, you can also comment on Twitter using the hashtag psyched podcast or on either of the two Facebook pages, School Psyched, Your School Psychologist, or the School Psyched Podcast page. You can message us or use the hashtag and let us know what you think. Um, as Rachel said, this is a different kind of episode because it's been a really long week and we've just kind of been uh, <laughs> really um, busy and a little um, uh a little late to organize uh, um, and and make sure that our that our guest was still able to join us. And because our guest was at NASP and traveling, it just got all muddled up today. So uh, you'll notice that my tagline under my little video screen here has includes my last name. So I'm Rebecca Camizio. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. And the reason that we wanted to kind of talk a little bit tonight about we thought it would be a good opportunity to talk a little bit about ourselves is because we have gotten some really nice, wonderful messages from graduate students and professors, professors using our podcast um, to share with their students and students who are wanting to cite our podcast. So we're really excited about that. We always learn so much ourselves from our amazing guests. So we thought tonight we'd talk a little bit about the podcast and about ourselves and kind of about the state of school psychology as we see it um, from our little corners of the world. But before I go on and on, I will let Eric introduce himself. And he also has his last name up there. So Eric, welcome. Thank you, Rebecca and Rachel. Um, I am Eric Elias. And uh, yes, so I put my last name up there as well. It's funny. I have run into a number of school psychs in uh, the state. I'm in Connecticut and, you know, at different school districts, conferences and other things. And uh, folks have referenced the podcast to me as something I should listen to. And and so I, you know, immediately strike it strikes me as funny. And I go, oh, I'm I'm Eric, the host, well, you know, one of the co-hosts of, of the pod, of podcast. And then, you know, they laugh, we all get a laugh and they go, oh yeah, right. I don't know anybody's last names. And of course, if you listened early, um, Anna was our other co-host as well. So uh, I wasn't um, in, in the earlier seasons. So 
uh, it is kind of funny when that happens. So yes, here's who we are. <laughs> um, and you may run into us if you are in one of our respective states working as a colleague. So we just thought it would be interesting to, uh, you know, uh, to get to know us a little better. So this is a great opportunity, I think, since our guest wasn't able to make it tonight. And um, we are sort of, I, at least I'll speak for myself, sort of overbooked, uh, under, uh, overstressed, uh, underrested, and uh, feeling, you know, the effects of this long couple of years of dealing with the pandemic and uh, dealing with all the added stress and anxiety that's going along with that and with our students and, and families and teachers. So I'm, you know, needing to find time to savor and to catch my breath. And so this is a nice time for us to sort of catch up as well. So typically this is where I would introduce our guests. So um, I would just like to put, put in my two cents that I absolutely love working with Rachel and Rebecca. They are amazing colleagues and friends, and um, it's just a treat to get to chat with them and connect with them, typically at NASP. Um, and we're, the three of us are a little jealous, I think, that we weren't able to go and, um, you know, always miss out. Personally, my, my own, um, you know, reasons, I just wasn't able to make it this year. Uh, scheduling was tight, but also I'm not quite ready to mingle with the crowds. Um, and that's just my own personal, I'll uh, just be a little vulnerable here. That's my own personal thought on where we are with the pandemic and, and uh, my own safety uh, choice. So um, next year, I hope that we'll be just a little further out of the pandemic and I'll be able to go. But um, so I'm going to turn it over to my colleagues, I guess, <laughs> and uh, we'll see we'll see where we want to start. Who wants to jump in? Just to jump in off of that, um, as far as NASP and whatnot, I think that a lot of people were really like, am I going to go? Am I not going to go? People were really going back and forth with that. And I think that when people were really booking and looking seriously, that the case rates were so high that a lot of people just, you know, said, mm, you know, not, not right yet. And now everything's going kind of way down. So I've seen online a lot of people going, man, I should have gone uh, type of thing. So it seems like it was awesome. And uh, if anybody's watching that, yeah, did attend, we'd love to hear from you in the chat to see how that went and how comfortable you were with that. And, and thank you to Brandon for, for commenting um, as being a listener and is an undergrad student um, going into school psychology. I think that's really cool that we have undergrad students that are that are um, diving into this field. So awesome. Um, but yeah, and, and so I had a little bit of, man, I, I should have gone type of thing. But then, you know, as you know, from last, uh, I busted my ankle. <laughs> I, I was kind of, um, you know, had my camera off and stuff at the last episode because of that. And um, I'm still not fully recovered. So even if I had like booked, I probably would have had to cancel. So it was probably a good call for me. But yeah, Rebecca, do you feel like you, you, you know, missed out and should have gone? Or are you comfortable with your decision? Well, you know, I, I really do. I had such nasty envy all week and list, looking at the tweets and liking and retweeting as many as I could. I, I was especially envious and in that those moments felt like, oh, I wish I had gone. But the, I think that the truth of it is the school year has been so busy and probably the last, you know, two or two and a half at least that I can't imagine having to leave 
the building for a week. And uh, I just can't imagine it. We've done, you know, my, my school, I'm lucky to work in a, you know, a, a pretty wonderful school that supports professional development and they still do. And I've done, been able to do um, virtual PD over the last um, couple of years, but I feel always on call. And I don't know if other school psychologists out there feel a little bit that way, but um, it's been just really busy. So I'm happy that I was here. Uh, what's coming up for me in my school is that um, on the 28th, we are going mask optional. And I actually had the, a really interesting conversation. Uh, conversation from a reader question on school psych to your school psychologist asking um, about how do we help kids feel comfortable when we go mask optional because some kids may because of for whatever personal reasons or family reasons may continue to wear their masks and some may not and how how do we help them feel like it's all it's it's a choice and it's all okay and I was working on that kind of language this week for, for my teachers to share with kids and, and parents, because I do think that first week is going to be a little tricky. And, you know, kids just want to do well and they want to do the right thing. And it's hard to define right now. So we're working on language that talks about this is about comfort. You know, we don't want to... Um, convey to kids that this is about safety. Originally, it was about safety, you know, keeping everyone safe, keeping others safe. And now, you know, hopefully, according to the metrics, um, and the number of people that are, uh, that are uh, getting sick, and the number of people that are vaccinated and protected, it's not so much about safety anymore, hopefully. And, and so we're trying to use that language that this is about comfort, and everyone is the expert of their own comfort. And then that's okay. And it's okay that your comfort may be different from mine. And it's it's all okay. But I feel as though I spent a lot of time this week kind of preparing um, myself <laughs> and my teachers and my community for these upcoming changes. And just like going into the pandemic was a lot to prepare for and talk about and kind of develop language around so that so that we could help the children feel comfortable. I feel like coming out as some of the protocols are lifted is going to be similar and adjustment and, and need that kind of support. So I, I think like Eric, I'm not, wasn't maybe quite ready. Um, but, but I hope that next year I will be, and <laughs> I hope that things will slow down in schools as well too, because I've never felt this much like I, like I'm on call, you know, and I don't think that is necessarily a good thing to feel. And I don't think it's like a true thing, but I just feel like I'm waiting for the next thing to do. And, and it feels so urgent all the time. So I am looking, um, tomorrow is a day off. So this is a long weekend for us at my school. And I'm really trying to enjoy that downtime and, and turn off a lot of work when I can. So I'm wondering, what do you all, have you been feeling like that in your schools and, and yeah. And, and anyone in that, anyone that's tuning in, how, how have you all been feeling? I'll pass it off to whoever wants to jump in on that. Yeah. It looks like John Listino made a similar comment and Rachel shared that. Um, yeah, it, it feels like, uh, I don't know about your, your schools, but uh, we have a walkie-talkie system and it feels like, you know, j we're just one walkie-talkie call away from another 
uh, you know, another crisis. Yeah. As John's saying, that's, that's the way it feels. Yeah. Uh, one more crisis. So I, I like what you said, Rebecca, about, you know, planning for, for the, yeah, the, the masks coming off and things like that. Uh, unfortunately, so in Maryland, they they kind of left um, the state board, like had certain criteria under which like if you have this percentage vaccinated, then that means that school boards can vote to re remove the mask if they so choose. And so there was um, a back and forth because the criteria was, you know, 80% of the county being vaxxed, which my county's not, but then they took the 80% of those eligible to be vaxxed and said, oh, we hit that. Let, let, and so it was like, bam, um, they announced it like on oh, a Wednesday, there was talk about it happening on a Thursday, the school board like made a decision. And then like by Friday, the masks were off. So it was like super, super quick. And I felt like people didn't have time to process it. And I saw parents a lot on on social media saying like, Oh, my goodness, like, they're just nervous for their kids, how their kids would feel, would they be bullied? Would they feel uncomfortable? Um, and I haven't because I've been teleworking due to my ankle, I haven't been in there to see how that played out because Friday was was the first day of that. But from what I've heard, um, because my husband's in the schools, he said that most of the kids continued to wear the masks. Um, there was a couple, so he's middle school, so he sees multiple, you know, cohorts kind of coming through. He said in total, maybe about five kids uh, chose not to wear masks um, out, out of his classes. So I was kind of, you know, you know, surprised about that. I figured that they would just come come off. <laughs> but he said with the teachers, it was more so the teachers were like, oh, we're done with this. And then the mask came off. But uh, yeah, I, I think it would be nice to, um, like you said, kind of prepare for these types of things. And I, you know, as school psychologists, I could see that in our wheelhouse to, um, to get people. But yeah, I'm going to echo what, what, what you both said about just like this whole year being kind of a whirlwind and just a lot. <laughs> it's like never ending. You can't get a, a break and a, 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 even the breaks don't feel like breaks, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes. And there, there, it, I think it was more last year, but I've noticed it this year too, that people, teachers and educators in general were, were talking about how their sense of time and I, and maybe it was everyone during the pandemic, you know, especially when we were home a lot more just, and, and all our boundaries were smushed together. Um, and now maybe not so much, maybe we can separate work from home if we're working in, in person in a building, but Still, I feel like for me, my sense of time is is really odd. So I, I'm not sure if something that I am thinking about happened last year or the year before. Like, you know, I feel I still feel a little fuzzy and um, I've never had COVID yet, which is lucky, I think. But I feel as though I do have some level of COVID brain. And that may have even been what happened partially with our guest tonight, <laughs> because I should have confirmed um, much sooner than I was able to. But um yeah, so I'm wondering if anyone else is noticing that too, because it does feel it just feels good to see in the chat and to hear you all say it too that it feels it just feels a little busier than normal and uh, and slightly overwhelming. Are you noticing too that your time feels different? And I'll say. Yeah, it feels a little bit surreal just because I feel like I was on edge for so long about 
going back to school. So that was a whole anxiety thing for me um, because I've been very careful with COVID. My family has yet to experience COVID, which I'm thankful for. Um, and we've been very kind of diligent. And so when we were told, okay, you have to go back into the school with all these <laughs> all these other people, it, it was a lot. Um, and eventually I think, you know, with anxiety, you, you're exposed to it and you habituate and you kind of, you know, you, you deal with it and then you move on. And so I'm, I'm to the point where, okay, I'm not anxious every time I'm walking in the school building or every time I'm in a meeting that's, you know, close quarters type of thing, but it's still, um, yeah, it takes a, some, your energy out of you. It kind of drains you on um, living in that perpetual kind of state of not what's going, knowing what's going on. And then there's a lot of really hard decisions from a testing standpoint. So a lot of referrals um, for, you know, learning disabilities when all last year was virtual instruction and we've had this pandemic. And so is this a learning problem or is this a, just a, a fact of not really having maybe adequate instruction? And then we have lots of kids that pop up with behavior problems because we had all virtual <laughs> instruction. And so they don't know what it's like to be in a classroom. And then kids with really severe needs that flew under the radar that were looking and saying, okay, this child probably needs an alternate curriculum, but we couldn't do that or even have that conversation because last year it was all virtual. And so it's like this year is just catch up. You know, we're, we're trying to get everybody that we missed before and we're trying to do our due diligence and not over, um, over, you know, identify kids. And so it's, mentally yeah. draining. Absolutely. And uh, John Lestino, hi, John, mentioned uh, mask fatigue. And I do think that I, I, like you, I don't feel sort of consciously anxious anymore. But I do think when you're having to, at some point in your day, think about um, masking or distancing or, you know, extra hand washing, all the things that there's sort of this level of vigilance required that may not cause anxiety because it's, it's a part of our routine now, but it's still this vigilance that is kind of exhausting. And so it's, it's, those are things we didn't really have to think about at all before. And, um, and that may be part of my, um, you know, like fog, brain fog and, and a uh, sense of time. But I, I agree that mask fatigue is a thing. And um, yeah, the breaks don't always feel like breaks. There's, yeah, it's been, it's been tough. And I, I do feel as though self-compassion for us, um, graduate students and, and school psychologists and interns, you know, we, um, hold ourselves to high standards, which is awesome. I think we should continue to do that, but also to, to note that, um, it's okay to, to acknowledge, you know, that it's been hard or times when it's overwhelming. I remember when we had, uh, Rebecca Brentstetter on, um, early in the pandemic. And she said that she, she finished every sort of critical thought or every worried thought with the phrase in a global pandemic. Do you remember that? So she said, yeah, oh, I didn't get to finish that report today in a global pandemic or whatever. So like it just right sizes everything when when we remember that, yeah, this has been unusual and unusual circumstances are challenging and hopefully we'll get we'll get to a place where where we can exhale and um, ha have some more, you know, self-care built in to our schedules. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, in a global pandemic, Rebecca, I know that in a global pandemic, you wrote a book. 
<laughs> yes, I did. Good for you. Tell us a little bit about that, maybe. Absolutely. So my friend and colleague, Karen Baruch Feldman, and I wrote a book called The Resilience Workbook for Kids, and it's coming out in April. And I'm really excited about it. And Karen and I are going to come on School Psych Podcast um, in the spring to talk more about resilience and how adults can build resilience in kids. But I, I am I'm really proud of this book. We uh, poured through the literature on what helps people be resilient over adversity, over um, high childhood adversity um, experiences. And um, what can we learn from people that have come out of challenging circumstances um, and been, you know, super normal. So like the normal that is su like super because they've been through so much that you might expect some kind of regression or some kind of difficulty after it. Um, and also even um, really achieved more in, in light of something that was really hard or difficult or painful. And so we, we wanted to talk about those elements, the things that we know help kids thrive um, in challenging circumstances. We wanted to talk about them with kids. So it is a book for children. It's written for children. And th that's, you know, my favorite thing is talking with kids. And so to translate the science into kid language was just so much fun. Um, and we have we have components of each chapter. Um, one is learn it, where we talk about the science. And then one is do it, where it's an activity where they can practice. And then there's review. And then there's work with a, a special adult. So it's really fun. And I can't wait to talk more about it when, it, when it's out. It's available for pre-order now. Um, but it's not out yet. And it's just, it was a really fun project. So I'm excited. I think that... Um, Resilience is a really important topic. The word is thrown around a lot, but we do know a lot about it. And um, personally, uh, that's why I got into school psychology, you know, without, you know, having everybody, you know, get a lump in their throat. <laughs> I was a kid with a high A score. You know, I had a lot of tough things as a kid and it was, um, you know, a few adults across my childhood that that really made the biggest difference. Um, and that's why I wanted to be a school psychologist. I wanted to be an adult like that, that that helped kids um, see themselves after something hard, that see themselves in the future um, living a life that they want, that they chose. And and so, oh yeah, I'm really excited about the book. I can't wait to share it with everyone. <laughs> and can you put a link? Uh, John just asked, how do we, how do we find out more about that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm going to put a link. It's called the Resilience Workbook for Kids, and it is uh, now on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles uh, for pre-order, and Walmart even and Target. <laughs> uh, but the publisher is um, New Harbinger, and we are also working on, it's not nearly ready yet, but we're going to have a Praxis um, workshop for adults uh, coming up in uh, next fall. So I will I will definitely share. Um, oh, Lisa Kelly Vance, thank you so much. Um, yes, I will, I'll share the link in, in the 
in the uh, chat here. And you'll definitely see it in my social media and on Twitter as well. Thank you. I like how you reference the, the learn it, do it. You know, that made me think of, because I've been in instructional hierarchy land too. I, I'm thinking about like acquisition, we're explicitly instructing and then you're you're practicing and you're, <laughs> so I was like, yay, <laughs> science. Um, and then Eric, um, I know that um, you've been, you mentioned before we got on online here that you're getting notifications of be, about being cited, your paper being cited and how that's exciting. <laughs> I don't know if that's something you want to share with a bunch of everybody. It's it's, it's just sort of funny because uh, early in the pandemic, uh, a couple colleagues from Southern Connecticut State University and I uh, published two papers um, in uh, in journals, and it was just something I sort of fell into, um, just for, uh, articles regarding furthering the field of school psychology, exploring um, new aspects of school psychology, and uh, they were both accepted for publication, and and then they started being cited. So it was really funny to start getting notifications um, because I, you know, I'm, I'm really a practitioner. I teach adjunct occasionally and I was fortunate enough to write these two articles with, uh, with really great colleagues. And then last year I uh, had an article in uh, the special issue of the Canadian Journal of School Psychology. Uh, and that was really where my passion lies in uh, de-implementation de of low-value practices and uh, really trying to understand historical aspects of the way we uh, assess for SLD. And so uh, I was very proud of that paper and uh, that was published last spring in the Canadian Journal of School Psychology and uh, is, uh, I keep getting, I guess I would say weekly notifications that um, it's being cited. So that's really nice uh, just for me to uh, a little professional pat on the back. Um, but, uh, you know, if anyone's interested, um, email me and I'll send you a copy. I have, um, you know, copyright rights to pass those on. And, um, you know, it, it's just exciting. I, I, I think during this time, you know, we've all found ways to be productive and to be engaged in ways that are meaningful to us professionally and personally. And it's exciting to uh, have had downtime, I guess, to to get into some of these projects uh, because, you know, I've been able to do a little more writing and certainly a lot more reading while, especially while school was closed and we were sort of online for quite a while. Um, so that was just, a, a you know, a, a little sort of professional pat on the back for me. And especially given, you know, I, I really can't express how much the NASP conference means to me on an annual basis. And how much it's just, not just professionally, but personally to reconnect with colleagues who I just love dearly and, um, and colleagues that I admire and am uh, you know, just a fan of and to get that sort of professional booster shot every year, a personal booster shot of, of you know, all those endorphins that I get from hanging out with my fellow school psychs at NASP. So it was tough to not go this year. And, uh, I had some, you know, some appointments that I needed to keep, uh, medical checkups and things. So it just wasn't in the cards for me to be there in person this year. But, um, you know, I miss it terribly. So, uh, so you know, it was nice to get some citations, I guess, and uh, and you know, connect with uh, with folks, you know, online and and that sort of thing. So, uh, but Rachel, you also mentioned something um, 
that I truly admire about you, and this is something I think more school psychologists should connect with, and and that's the instructional piece. Um, you mentioned you know that kids are missing instruction, and um, you know one of the things before we started, as we got into the pandemic, people were saying, oh, we really just need to um, you know accept kids where they are and. Um, we shouldn't jump into testing immediately once we, you know, we we realize that there's a gap because there will be a gap. And of course, in practice, that's we're still just testing kids and referring kids. Uh, but something you've been doing for a long time uh, is really understanding the instructional piece and understanding um, uh, targeted intervention. So, and I know you've done some leadership in your state, and I don't know if you want to talk about some of the things you're doing, but. Um, I think school psychologists could benefit so much from understanding more and listening to some of the things you have to say. So um, would love it if you jump in a little bit and tell what you're doing. Oh, thank you. That's, that's very nice. Um, yeah, I, I, I think as many of you know, I have kind of a passion on the instructional side um, and and kind of dipping my toes more into, I, I know sometimes as school psychologists, we get into this narrow, like you're, you're testing kids, you're putting them in special education. And then, you know, it's kind of, they go and they get their specialized instruction, whatever that kind of means. And so I've been learning more about the instruction. I mean, when you're talking about specific learning disabilities, you, you have to know about instruction, what is good instruction, what's good intervention, what's appropriate, how long these things need to be, you know, data in general. Um, and so I've been, you know, over the course of a couple of years, kind of learning more about that. Now, my grad program, I will say, was pretty robust in that area. So I learned for sure about CBM and CBA and, um, you know, instructional stuff. And I had a course devoted just to reading. So, I mean, I, I went into the field, you know, having some of that. And I realized that not all school psychologists maybe have that in their programs. Programs vary so much, Um by what their focus is based on, you know, who's there, what the faculty members are, are interested in and how that program is constructed. Um, but yeah, so I had a, kind of an interest on that academic side. Um, and my first couple places that I worked in as a school psychologist were not heavy on the social emotional side. So I didn't do a lot of counseling. And so I, I think I fell more into the, you know, in love with the academic piece of things. Um, and then, uh, you know, so I, through the re reading course that I took, you know, I learned about phonics and phonemic awareness and all, all the all the things. And then you go out into schools and you don't really see this happening. You see, we've had uh, episodes about the whole language thing and kind of misaligned approaches to reading and, and things like that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I knew that something was it was kind of fishy and not going as it should. But, you know, when you're in your first couple of years, you just kind of go with the flow. And as I've learned more through the podcast, and um, I love Emily Hanford's podcasts on um, reading and our state of reading in our country, um, I started to kind of push back on, on some of the things and try and figure out, you know, how can I make some changes in my district? And so, yeah, I've, I've done a kind of a multitude of things, one as a parent, like trying to push for from that end, writing letters to the school board to try and get, you know, more kind of evidence-based curriculums and things in my district. Um, my, my boss and my department have been awesome. And so they've allowed me to do opportunities with speaking and connecting with other school psychologists in the department. I've become involved um, with the Reading League. So um, the Reading League has the national chapter and then they're, they're starting state chapter. So I was involved with a group that we were able to found um, 
the the Maryland chapter of the Reading League, and uh, I've been kind of thrown into the presidential position of that. So that's been um, fun. And so I've got a four-year term doing that, and we're basically putting on, you know, professional development that it's mostly, you know, virtually based at this point. So anybody can attend. We're doing a book study um, tomorrow is the first meeting of uh, a book study that we're doing. And so, yeah, it's, it's been keeping me busy. And it, I think is very fulfilling because I'm able to not just, you know, evaluate students, um, but really, I think, give more meaningful recommendations and to help with forming really appropriate, strong goals and not just goals too, but what are some of the instructional strategies as a special education teacher, as the general education teacher that you're going to go on to, to maybe use. And it's taken a while to get there because, you know, nobody likes to have somebody just come in and say, well, you do this and you do that. And, you know, so that can't, it can't be like that. It has to be a partnership. And um, I think I've earned the trust of, uh, you know, a couple people on my team now that, you know, I can say this is, I think that this is the type of instruction that this child needs uh, in this area. This is where we need to focus. And this is what evidence-based instruction in that area looks like. And um, they're, okay, let's do it. And then it's just really fulfilling to me to see that and to see the progress and whatnot. So yeah, I've been, um, you know, passionate about that. So that's been, yeah, fulfilling and and fun to me. And then I experiment on my own children. So they get all sorts of (laughs) evidence-based instruction thrown upon them. And um, you know, fun things. I was looking into a um, morphology curriculum the other day. I was like, oh, this is fun. I could get this. It's only $100 and I could do it with my with my two children and see how that goes. And maybe that's something that I can kind of, you know, work out resources and, and recommend for, for students that need work on morphology. So um, yeah, but that's cool. That's amazing. It, it strikes me as you're talking too, how important and valuable a professional learning community is because I really look to each of you and often our guests for um, expertise that they have that that I don't necessarily have you know at my fingertips and I think for uh, those of you who are um, early career or graduate students especially look to find your people and and look to you know look to schools like podcast, not to, you know, toot our own horn, but our guests are often so generous with sharing their contact information, their websites, and, and they mean it because I personally have reached out to so many of our guests when I have a question at work. And so, yeah, Rachel is definitely my reading um, (laughs) expert. And I love having, you know, having these connections. It just, it's made my, um, my job so much more um, productive, I think. <laughs> I think I've been more effective because if I, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I definitely know like where, who I can ask. And that's a great thing. Yeah. The, you know, Dr. Vander Hayden in, in her math focus has really inspired me too. Like, I, I mean, I was into the reading first and then I'm like, oh, the math has a lot of the same problems, a lot of these. And so we had, you know, Dr. Peltier and, and Dr. Cotting on and I'm so like, ah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of infectious, but yeah, you're right to, to know who you can go to and, and because not everybody, I mean, this is a, such a huge field. I mean, you couldn't possibly be experts, you know, anytime, you know, uh, counseling stuff comes up. I know I, I you know, Rebecca, Rebecca knows it. <laughs> So that's who I go to. Yeah. Um, I've been remiss in, in looking at the chat. I love all, all the comments. I don't know if anybody's seen. I know that somebody wanted us to maybe chat about LD in the context of COVID. Um, I don't know if we want to circle back to that because that was an earlier one or if anybody else has any thoughts. Yeah, yeah those were good. 
good comments. And, and Barry mentioned, um, you know, he appreciates that we're talking about mental health issues. It's just probably the, the biggest underlying issue right now. Um, tackling that. Yeah. Uh, want to talk about SLD or mental health. <laughs> right. And, and I, I love right now the, the, the connection between those two in some ways, because um, I don't know about everybody, but I feel as though the number of referrals um, seems unusually high and, um, and like in all just different, different, different kinds of referrals. So I think that kids are, um, you know, working it out, working out the, the lost time of in-person instruction and, um, the anxiety that's kind of in the atmosphere and we'll see that and we'll see that in behavior and we'll see that, you know, in approaches to learning and learning. So I think they're, you know, greatly connected. And so I'd love to talk about, um, SLD in a, in a time like this, because I think that, um, making those judgments are so much more difficult right now because is it loss of instruction is it you know chronic stress or is it something you know more um specific to the way a child learns i yeah. love what uh, john said i have to share that i'm a, a slt um is an enigma wrapped in a quandary or something like that like nobody really knows on a good day what sld is necessarily or at least agrees consistently on what it is so it's so hard to nail that down and now covid on, on top of it what i've been telling my teachers is um you know i've been taking kind of uh and rti isn't necessarily required as so much in my district um, cause we do have like a, a PSW type of methodology, but I've been telling my teachers like the, the, the only way that I can think to tease apart a little bit about, is this a learning problem in itself? Or is this a learning problem be, because we've missed things with COVID is to give them that appropriate evidence-based intervention and instruction and track that progress monitoring. And if we shoot up, then it's like, oh, maybe this is COVID related. Like when you give them what they need, like they take off. Um, but maybe when you're not shooting up, but then you get into, you know, what is adequate progress and, and all that, all that fun stuff. So there's never, I've given up trying to find the answer to, to SLD. So I, I get that, uh, that, you know, enigma wrapped in a Yes, that's what it is. There are so many variables to disentangle, right? You know, and it used to be that we thought we had a control over the two main variables, which we initially hypothesized back in the 70s and 80s as average IQ versus, you know, low achievement, right? And, and we use that discrepancy to identify, uh, you know, based on cut scores, whether a child was LD or not. And even from the beginning, we knew that there were problems with that. You know, when I was training, that's what we did, uh, the discrepancy method. And, and then if we, we got into the 90s and we, we, you know, we dove into the CHC factors and uh, PSW issues, and then we got into RTI um, and so here, I, yeah, I know for a couple of the undergrads, perhaps listening, um, you know, we're throwing around acronyms, but um, but really, these were some of the methodologies you'll read about that we've used to identify learning disabilities and learning problems. And um, our chore is always to disentangle whether it's a delay, um, you know, some sort of developmental delay, or whether it's a true disability, or just that 
the children need more time in instruction. And um, when we look at instructional methodology and how problematic it's been as we've gotten into the science of reading, we can see that instruction um, is a factor that uh, has a huge influence. So, and then this mental health issues as well. Um, one of the things I think we would have been good, and I, I think generally, uh, I think we would have been good to address is perhaps just just realizing that everyone's going to be a year behind, you know, um, in general, right? We're all going to have a gap. And so perhaps the typical standards that we were applying to kids might just need to be adjusted uh, a little bit briefly, you know, as we kind of catch up. And so we should give it a year before we start assessing. I think the problem is, is that when people think, well, if that child really has a disability, then we're wasting time, right? But I think what we should be doing is giving intervention to everybody, right? So tier one needs to be tier three. You know, we need to drop those interventions down and break instruction down more and start with mental health and, and SEL supports and um, break down the, the instructional supports as well. Yeah, ideally, I tell teachers that, you know, what I'm saying, well, put them in inter intervention. It's not that I'm saying put off accessing this cool resource, this special education secret thing that only a few kids get to, and I'm denying the student from this amazing thing that's going to fix the problem. You know, I want them to look at, you know, I'm giving them the type, I'm giving them the type of instruction that I think that they need under general education. It's not that, you know, putting them in special education isn't going to change what instruction that they need. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's not the evidence-based intervention. It's, you know, whatever the special ed teachers found off of Pinterest. Um, the problems that I'm having in my school, though, is, is staffing and lack of training. And so we have so many intervention slots for kids, and then we've maxed that out, or the people that are doing these interventions are sick or burnt out and not coming or quit. And then you, you know, you have no way to deliver interventions uh, to gen ed, you know, students. And then like the only way to do that in my district sometimes is special ed, uh, but those hours don't even get met in the, in the manner that they should. So it's just, it's frustrating. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't rant about it. But yeah, I try and, and tell teachers that if I'm offering you this intervention and saying, like, we can do this, let's do this. It's not, I'm not like giving you second place here. I'm not giving you less than I'm giving you the same thing that would be delivered through an IEP, just not through an IEP to see if we can avoid the IEP, if that makes sense. I don't <laughs> Right. And I recently, I want to do a little shout out for anyone in Connecticut. I recently did a, a really wonderful um, uh, uh, workshop, professional development in restorative practices and trauma-informed practices by school climate consultants in Glastonbury, Connecticut. And they do them and they are free. And it was excellent. It was Dr. Joanne Freiberg, um, I think, is one of the um, the founders or leaders of that group, but um, just thinking about the tier one, the need for a, a really robust and um, supported tier one right now, given that at on some level, the pandemic has, you know, at least caused chronic stress for everyone. Um, and, you know, at worst, trauma. And so thinking about how do we approach our tier one with some 
restorative or trauma-informed practices. And I know that's really complicated because, um, you know, there hasn't been necessarily um, clear evidence of, of what those practices are and how they um, and how they serve uh, typical schools and what kind of training people need and, and how, what is the fidelity? I think we're kind of on the cutting edge of learning about that, but there are some school districts like Boston public schools that have been doing it for a long time, but I feel as though we could all use, um, to understand that more and, and look at the research on, um, trauma informed practices and, uh, I loved learning about restorative practices. And of course, you know, it's a very superficial learning at this point, but I'm hoping to learn more. I wonder if anyone out there uses restorative practices or trauma-informed practices in their school and what they would recommend for anybody who's at the start of their learning journey on that. Yeah, I'm just catching up with the chat here. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Joanne Freiberg is wonderful. Uh, so I recommend her association as well. Um, Barry had a comment. How do we address the stress and anxiety teachers are experiencing? It, it's huge. And as Rachel mentioned, yeah, sometimes we're looking for these interventions to be done and you realize that people are out sick with COVID or have quit or, um, you know, and teachers are doing double duty to make up for colleagues who are out sick. And, um yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, our teacher shortage, I mean, we have a school psych shortage, shortage too. It's going to get worse because I don't, teachers have been beat up. Educators in general, us included, have been beat up these last two years. Um, and it's really stressful. And in a lot of cases, um, you know, the pay just, you know, the, I mean, people love working with kids, but it's like you go, I, I just see teachers being beat up left and right and not paid appropriately for what they do. And so I get it when I see teachers quitting. I've seen two or three teachers quit mid-year this year. Just, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. I, you know, teachers that that have difficult classes that are frustrating, teachers that are getting beat up by by their kids. I mean, not, not in, you know, that, are, that have kids with a lot of social emotional difficulties that, you know, are sustaining physical injuries on a regular basis. Um, it's a lot to ask in the paperwork alone. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't recommend anyone go into education, like to be a teacher, which is sad because I love teachers. My husband is a teacher. I appreciate it, but it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. And I, and I don't see people going into education because the pay isn't so great. And what you have to go through is, is stressful. And especially in these last two years. So, I just, there's such a shortage now. I'm seeing states, you know, thinking about how can we get more people into the classrooms and, and taking it instead of, okay, let's give everybody raises, taking the avenue of, you know, let's let people that don't have a graduate degree teach, or how can we, how can we get people in and then let them go to grad school while they're in? So, you know, like lowering uh, the requirements maybe for being a teacher to try and get people in there. And I don't know is that this is a viable long-term solution. Um, so I worry for the field of education and, and all my teacher friends because they are burnt out um, more so than I am. And I know we are all burnt out, but I think that teachers have it even worse than school psychs. Yeah, I, I agree. And 
and I think um, Barry asked, how do we address the stress and anxiety? And I think the only thing that we can do right now is really fortify our boundaries because as human beings, we can only do so much yet. I think that educators, school psychs and teachers in general, we are, um, you know, we naturally want to go above and beyond, but sometimes it is at our own expense and like just really learning through the last couple of years that that is, it's not sustainable, which is a phrase we've all heard, um, you know, but now that we've really experienced that, um, what can we do to shut it, shut it down? You know, I, the fact that, you know, I open, I started saying, I feel like I'm always on call. I, the only person I can really blame for that is me. There's nobody calling me. I mean, there's nobody, you know, telling me that I need to respond to these emails you know, 24 hours or first thing in the morning, or it's me. And I do think that um, teachers are like that too. They really are. Um, I, I have so many teacher friends that are, you know, in school on Sundays preparing for the week or, you know, that stay until well after the sun sets. And I just think that we can't do that because we won't last um as long as we would if we if we took better care of ourselves, and it's hard. It's hard because um, we've been talking in my community a lot about how it seemed it didn't seem this intense um, years ago, and I'm not sure what that is. If if there's an acceleration of our expectations for what we can do within a school year, that's probably part of it. Um, I think because of the pandemic and the um, learning loss. I think there's there's still this sort of sentiment that we can catch these kids up, but I don't know if that's true or necessary, you know, so that if kids are, are a little bit behind, but everybody is, why can't we just start from where they are and just keep going forward rather than like catch them up to where they would have been or, you know, I don't know. I, I think a lot, a lot of it may be on us. And we did some surveying um, of, of adults um, in our community about emotional um, exhaustion and burnout and different elements of that um, pressure, pressure to, to um, perform and work stress. And um, we found in our anonymous surveying that, that adults said a lot of the pressure was coming from themselves and so just for our figuring out for ourselves, how do we shut that down? You know, how do we how do we take care of ourselves so that we can recognize that, oh, that there's my reflex again to check my email as soon as I wake up. What can I do instead and like really make that a practice? Um, so I, we were going to talk about mindfulness tonight. I mean, I, I think that that is something I would love to get more into myself, just having some kinds of, even if it's mindful moments, like it, it, during the day or um, that, that first 10 minutes after waking up, I think there's hope in that for me, because a lot of times when I'm stressed, it's because I'm on autopilot. But I wonder if a lot of us aren't like that. And maybe one way to reduce overall anxiety and stress is to put on our own oxygen masks, you know, to really, to really do that because I, I'm not sure that we have, I haven't. 
Yeah, I was just putting in the chat when we weren't went virtual. Um, I put my email, my work email, on my phone to get the alerts because yeah, you're you're navigating in your house with your kids and you need to know if somebody needs you in a meeting. Um, but I haven't taken that off, and and I need to because I don't need that anymore. Um, and it just ends up kind of sucking me into responding to conversations that don't really require my attention, or I, I should be able to push it off into the workday and keep that time sacred. Yeah. You know, something, I think Rebecca shared these thoughts with me not that long ago. Um, inter- we were talking about supporting stressed colleagues. And um, and I think you shared, Rebecca, you know, that some of the things we do in terms of building resilience and supporting colleagues are to build one's coping skills, but also to reduce stress and and then also to increase some autonomy right and and so we can you know keep pushing the coping skills and and doing things that we need um but we're still in this situation that's on fire so to speak right and so there needs to be a way that reduces some of that stress and and helps us build some autonomy as well and so some of that might need to be our own boundaries um and, and find, you know, taking our lunch break, for example, um, and not being allowed to be called on the walkie-talkie during, you know, during lunch and, and just little things. And maybe take the lunch as a walking break with a colleague around the building or outside or um, whatever you can do for your 20 minutes or your half hour. But um, making that meaningful and building in some autonomy. And then, you know, the, the pandemic will go away as it goes away. So we can't put the fire out, so to speak. We're always going to be in it while it's going on. And, um, but, but boosting our coping skills and the things that support us and then building in some autonomy may be the best we can do as, as the pandemic wanes and we get back to some sort of normalcy. That's, that's so true. I, I just wanted to say, we, I remember that conversation because we were talking about, you know, not only these things we do for ourselves, personal self-care, but um, systemic care for educators and having the system reduce the, just reduce the demands, whether that's communicating to stakeholders about kind of hours of availability or expectations, um, or, you know, just literally kind of saying, what do you have on your plate this week that we can take off and just helping people brainstorm. Um, because I do think for teachers, especially we, we want to try to reduce some of the demands if we want to keep them. And I do think it's in our best interest in our school's best interest, not to lose her teachers. Right. <laughs> so we want to think about retention and I work and live in an area where um, there are a lot of programs. There's a lot of teacher education programs and there are a lot of school psych programs. So I don't think we necessarily have a shortage in my area, but it's still in our best interest to retain our people because, um, because they're skillful and they're, they're important and we don't want to have like high turnover anyway. I don't think that's really good for our community or for our kids. Yeah, and and I agree, you know, it's hard to take care of ourselves and and think in that manner. And sometimes, you know, 
I found myself, it helps me sometimes when I'm like, well, what would I say to somebody else who was in this situation? Because it's true that we're more, we're more forgiving than we are, you know, to others than we are to ourselves. And like, even sometimes when I'm struggling with one of my kids is having a tantrum and I'm just like at my wits end, you know, if, if, if a teacher came to me with a kid that was tantruming, like, what are some of the things that I would say to put in place? And I can come up with a whole bunch of things. And it's like, why haven't I done that as a parent? And it's the same thing about, you know, I'm stressed. I don't know what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. And if I saw somebody else, going through that, I, I could, as a school psychologist, put on my psych hat and list off, you know, you should try this and this, and then we can streamline this and forget about this stuff. And we'll prioritize. And it's like, why, why do I have such a hard time thinking in that manner, when it's me, and not somebody else. And so I, I'm trying to be better at that, but it's hard. <laughs> But I'm seeing a lot of really good comments. Um, I'm wondering, we'll scan through some of these and summarize some things maybe, um, and kind of last call for comments and whatnot. And then um, I think that our next episode too uh, would be in March on solution-focused cal uh, counseling with Dr. John Murphy. Uh, Rebecca or Eric, who, who scheduled that one? Do you want to give us a, a lowdown on what, what that's that about? Yes, I scheduled that one and I am going to uh, reach out to make sure that he can still make it because I was lucky enough to um, do a see a presentation that he gave on, on the topic. I think it was at Summer NASP or it may have, may have been at uh, NIASP, um, but it's he's just amazing. And so I think that's going to be a treat for everyone. Um, solutions focused counseling with Dr. Murphy. So we'll keep you posted and share the link, but um, I'm looking forward to that next episode. And we'll for sure look to reschedule uh, our guests for tonight and get that, get that out there. Okay. I'm scrolling through chat. Eric, you have anything new? I just want to thank everyone for chiming in with such great thoughts and comments. And uh, thank you for being here live tonight. And um, certainly if you're, if you're listening to the podcast later on, uh, please carry on the conversation, send us a message, log into, you know, uh, reach out to us on one of the social media platforms. We'd be happy to continue having this conversation and always looking to see how we can support school psychs and take our own temperatures and, and um, remedy concerns in the field. So. Uh, I think this is an ongoing, important conversation to have. Yes. And this, uh, you know, just hanging out with the two of you helps me to motivate myself. And I always you know, have a have a great time. And so this makes, you know, not going to NASP, you know, we can, you can always tune in for a podcast and, and chat with uh, chat with your your cohort, with your PLC. And, and you know, it just makes things so much better. I'm seeing fun comments um, about boundaries very important to, to set up boundaries and to do that early on so you don't get roped into things. Totally agree. Okay. All right. I think uh, we'll say goodbye then to everybody. And thank you for, for hanging out with us, even though we ended up not with a guest. It was still um, a fun conversation and uh, we love to do it. So, Bye. Good night.